How to Win in Africa. This podcast is not about Africa. It is about winning personally, organizationally, nationally, and internationally. We define winning as investing and receiving return on the investment. Specifically, it is being able to invest without risk. If there is risk, there is a threat of loss. If one is at risk of losing what one is going to invest, one will be hesitant about investing, because for poor people any risk is unacceptable. Winning is about getting a larger return than the amount put at risk. But eliminating risk is the only way one can provide wins. Indeed, investing without risk or investing in a way that provides a win is not strictly speaking an investment. It is a purchase. One provides assets and one gets back something one values more. Investing is gambling. To say one is investing may seem as if one is doing something productive what one is doing is gambling in the market. We do not gamble. What winners do is purchase equity. To win, one invests equity in an activity organization in which risk has been eliminated. Needless to say, this is not possible in capitalism. To win is not difficult when logic is utilized. Capitalism is a risk rewarding activity, and it is not governed by logic. Logic, when followed, forces us to adhere to perfect course towards success. Logical activity must lead to success by definition, or the path one followed was not logical. Therefore, logic and capitalism are divergent paths, and one is on one or the other, but not both. Winning can happen, as we all know, through cheating and criminal activity. But such wins are not true wins, for such wins are never without qualification. How can it be a win when one acquires a few hundred dollars and the possibility of spending several years in jail as the result? Even if jail does not turn out to be a reality, in that case the actual harm done cannot be logically justified. True winning requires an adherence to logic. A true win is achieved as a logical victory. We are not familiar with this idea because the contest we are in favors cheats. The truth remains, however, and the more honest one is, the more one will win. However, this is not to say you will win what you sought to win if you are looking at cheats and liars for your inspiration. If you admire liars and cheats, you are not going to achieve what they achieve the way they achieve it by being logical. The claim that truth always wins will be disputed. This is not just because people are liars. People prefer to think they are honest whether they are winning or not. Logically, however, you cannot win using dishonesty. There is only one way to win, and that is logically. If you think winning is possible through crime, then logical arguments are not going to change your mind. Your ideas about what winning is permit you to commit crime. What we are saying is that logic cannot legitimize your position, 
crime is always and must be an illogical course of action. Gaining what you want through dishonest means is not a win. More importantly, what you win using dishonest processes is never what you think it is, and the results are not what you imagine them to be. In this presentation, we will look at success at four levels. We need to win at the personal, organizational, national and global level. Anything less is not truly a win. What does winning look like? How can we know we have won or are we winning? Is the amount of money one has or is likely to get a good indicator of success? The world says it is. Yet no one really wants money. We want the things we think money gives us. If money is a means to an end, what is the end we envisage when we think about success? Is money a measure of success or a diversion? We want the good things in life, but would money help us get these things when food is in short supply or civilization has collapsed? These are extreme scenarios, but does it make sense to base our ambition on best case scenarios? If money does not function in the worst of times, is it the best option to use even in the best of times? This is not to dismiss the use of money. It is a suggestion to not use money as your measure of success. Having money does not give us the success we want, though it may well give us the illusion of success. When we use money as a measure of success, those who do not have money consider themselves a failure, and simply because they lack money, they think success is beyond their reach. Success is or includes achieving humanity. If what we do causes us to lose our humanity, we have not gained much. All too often in the search for success, we do not stop to think what we want success for. We do not think what our measure of success costs us in terms of who we are. If we abandon our humanity for monetary gain, have we made a good bargain? What is money really that we would sell our souls to gain it? Will a million dollars help us if the average income is ten million or a hundred million? What if one million dollars was the smallest note there was in circulation? What if we were the richest person on the planet? but ten years old, and suffering from a depiliating illness that kept us paralyzed and unable to communicate. As the saying goes, it's good to be careful what one wishes for. Do we want to win a race if it means taking steroids? Would we take steroids to win the race? Would we lie, cheat and steal to win? How badly do we want to win? What does winning mean to us? Is our humanity a small price to pay for the success we want? If this is the case, what does winning even mean? Would we destroy all of mankind to gain our goals? Are we willing to destroy ourselves to achieve success? We cannot win until we are clear about what winning means. We need a goal clearly defined. Logically, we cannot have success unless we remain ourself. Since change is inevitable, success can only come to those who become the epitome of themselves. Success is a process of realizing 
realizing who we are. Thus, every choice is ultimately a moral choice. Winning is not remaining who we are, but becoming who we are designed to be. Every choice is a silent question, asking us if we will choose to realize our true potential or sacrifice it on the altar of short-term gain. Does our idea of winning include us, or do we abandon our true nature to achieve a goal set by others? Logic is implacable. It cannot be reasoned with or bargained with. One follows it or becomes irrational. The problem with logic is that irrational persons have a hard time realizing they are irrational. The rationalization that caused them to abandon logic often keeps them trapped in their own justifications. To be logical, one has to submit oneself to its iron discipline. To be logical is to produce logical results. Logic is truth and logical choices will produce results that are logical. In this sense, logical results can be verified logical because of their adherence to truth, which leads us to the question of how do we measure truth. To be successful means we have to make more right choices than wrong. This may seem problematical, but logic is always simple when logically investigated. A logical choice creates value. It must. Any other choice is not logically tenable. We cannot say we are doing the right thing if the result is not desirable, that is, does not create value for us. Thus we want to create value simply because what we want is what has value for us. However, this means we need to know the actual result. We might say we want to get a job, but this may only be because we do not fully understand what the ramifications of having this job are. If we have the knowledge of God, we decide not to take the job. Logic then creates winners because it cannot do anything else. If there is a possibility one will fail, one has abandoned logic somewhere along the line. If logic is impeccable in its results, the position one starts from is immaterial. This is what the poor do not understand. Poverty is a state of mind. It only imprisons those who see it as a prison. Logically, there is no distinction between rich and poor. The poor will always be with us because it is a frame of mind. Indeed, it is a position of ingratitude for what one has. If one assumes they are poor, they will not feel grateful for what they have, and if not grateful, they will not be charitable, and when one is not charitable, one is condemning oneself and others to poverty. Do you not understand why charity is important to God? If we cannot or will not help others, what we are given is rendered null and void. People are poor because they lack charity. If we do not help others, we cannot be helped. If we refuse the help of others, we cannot help them. Without charity, there is no economy, because at its root, economy is people being charitable. No one is so poor they cannot help others. However, help is not without specific logical context. There are two forms of charity. The conventional view is of a person who simply dishes out wealth, 
without any preconditions. This is a very low level kind of charity. It might be akin to giving drugs to an addict. Are we really helping others by creating dependency in others? Charitableness requires we help others without looking for a return. But that does not permit us to give without love. To give without any requirement is to give divorce from a real sense of compassion for those whom we are helping. The Good Samaritan helped the beaten man without expecting a return himself, but he wanted the man nursed back to health in the expectation he would return to his trade. The return on his investment was not direct, but there was an expectation of a benefit to mankind. Herein lies the problem we encounter with capitalism and communism. The worker helps the company or state, but there is only a hope of benefit, not an expectation. There is no link between what the worker contributes to the organization and what is done because of that work. Workers spend 50 years contributing to the state and private businesses without knowledge of how this charity was used. We have a responsibility to ensure our work helps others or our contribution is not charitable. If we are paid to blow up wells in a dry country, how is this charitable? To be charitable, our work must produce real value. The concept of charity is more technically demanding than people realize. Logic demands clear, concise and detailed definitions. Logic is primarily the study of words and their meanings, or alternatively, the study of concepts and their relationships. To be logical, we have to be precise in what we are saying. Charitableness then requires we help others, but we are not the judge as to what others need. This is something atheists and even Christians rarely appreciate. The deck is stacked against us. We cannot win this war of wit or words. God created the game, the rules, and how winnings are scored. If we are not charitable, we will remain poor. If we try to be charitable on our own terms, we will create a great deal of harm. Charitableness requires us to help others, but in a way they require. This imposes many preconditions on us if we wish to actually be charitable. The first precondition is one of mutuality. If we do not need or want the other person to return the help in kind, but we do not wish the other person to be dependent on us either, our help is not help if it engenders dependency. So we have to ascertain what sort of help the person really needs. The second precondition is specificity. The help we give has to be aligned specifically with the person's needs. But what does this mean precisely? How do we know what the person needs? The only way to know this is to ask. We need to ask what the person needs. He may not be able to provide it, but we do then is to help him or her to find someone who can provide the help they need. The third precondition is precision. The help we give must be precise, and by this we mean it has to be accountable, that is, defined in terms of a unit of account. When we give, the giving has to be measured, 
This may seem to be counterproductive, but how can we assert our help is charitable unless we know the values of the credits given as compared to the credits received? We are not being charitable as Robin Hood, regardless of what pop popular culture has us believe. Doing good is not sufficient compensation for doing evil. There are only two types of people in this world. One per type of person is a freeloader and the other is charitable. If we are to avoid freeloading, we need to ensure we are charitable and this requires accounting. To be accountable ultimately requires the giver and receiver to be in the same market. This is why we are told to join a church. The church gives us a common accountability. The church is or is represented by a ledger. The ledger contains accounts that represent the congregation. Each member has an account in the ledger of the church or what we prefer to call an exchange. We have established that we need to help people in ways that help them be more autonomous and to do this we have realized our help has to be under their control and in an accountable way. This leads us to conclude that what we are actually referring to here is a free market. A free market is an environment in which persons can come and get the help they need in a very precise and objective and targeted way. The help is accounted for and so we know the value given and the value of the help taken. In a free market we are not concerned if the person we help has, will help us back because in an economy we can get the help from those who can help us best. So we see being charitable gives everyone the help they need and permits each of us to help in a way we can do the most good. Free markets are simple to set up. They only need a few people who are accountable to each other. Three people can set up an exchange. Each person has an account and helps the others in the way they are able. The help they give is paid for with units of account called prefers. Prefers is a contraction of preferred shares. Preferred shares are a measure of the equity of an organization. The exchange pays for any assets provided the group with an issue of preferred shares. Any tools or equipment provided exchange to start, start a business is compensated for with an issue of preferred shares payable to the account of the person making the donation. This means we can be charitable without risk for the exchange compensates the donation. When we need help, we can get this help from the person best able to give it. We pay for the help we get using the preferred shares in our account. The investment risk is eliminated. Anyone can set up a business without risk simply by requesting donations of the capital needed to set the business up. The people who donate the necessary capital are compensated for in preferred shares. If the businesses not do well, the exchange transfers the resources elsewhere. There is no loss. The assets are paid for by the exchange and so remain the property of the exchange. The people who work for the business are paid for their labor in preferred shares and so they are not in any risk. 
Any business can be started by donating the assets to the exchange. There is never any risk. Thus any group, regardless of their financial situation, can start an exchange and create economic development simply by helping each other as members of an exchange. By starting a business, one benefits oneself and one's immediate group. As groups are formed, these groups come together and they create a community. And in this way, the community wins. The communities create free markets and exchanges and they trade with one another. Over time, as these communities come together and act as free markets, they benefit their nation. And over time, the nations come together in a free market and benefit the world. It all starts with a few people helping one another in an accountable way governed by charity.